then the authorities start to become somewhat upset because um, it also brings about the idea that that if they're going to the coffee house to drink coffee, they may not be coming to the mosque to pray. So at various points during Islamic history in the 16th and 17th century, coffee is banned in the Islamic world. Oh, I see. Wow. Welcome to Al-Hakam Inspire. Our guest today is Dr. Hamad Khan, who by profession is a consultant neonatologist at St. Thomas and Evelina Children's Hospital. He's also director for the medical services at Humanity First UK. Aside from his medical duties, Dr. Hamad hosts The Weekend World, which is a current affairs show on the Voice of Islam UK radio. He's also an avid coffee lover, coffee drinker, and some may argue a connoisseur. He's a coffee enthusiast, and today we'll be talking to him about coffee in today's podcast, the history of coffee, the background, the different types of coffee, and how to make the perfect brew. Dr. Hamad Khan, Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to the Al Hakam Inspire podcast. Uh, wa alaikum salam, Nisham, and Hamad, uh, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm excited to be talking about coffee, I have to say. Um, I, I'm not sure if I'd describe myself as a connoisseur. Um, yeah. so, so, certainly I'm not, I'm not, um, I, I want everyone to get excited about coffee. So I'm, I'm, I don't want to come across as a coffee elitist. Um, and I think that there is something about Muslims, uh, and especially Muslims from the, um, Indian subcontinent, um, taking back coffee as a part of their cultural heritage and um, something hopefully we get to talk about today. And uh, I think that, you know, coffee has a, has a richly intertwined history as far as Islam is concerned. Um, and, and that's part of what I want to get into as well as all of the exciting stuff about why coffee is so amazing and how to make good coffee and everything else that you mentioned. That's great. No, I'm looking forward to today's discussion. Um, I was actually like for the past, years we've always heard that coffee has like you said a very important aspect in um, islamic history um so if you could just touch upon it what is the history of coffee and maybe just also if you can how has coffee and caffeine changed the world wow that's a big question has, yeah. co- has coffee changed the world origins of coffee and I think this is really really fascinating for anyone who really thinks about coffee and enjoys coffee and, and is thinking, so where did coffee start? Because you might think, okay, well, it's, it's probably like a lot of things that came from the new world. Maybe it came from mm. South America because we've got tomatoes and chilies and chocolate. They all came from the new world. So then maybe coffee came from the new world as well because Brazil, they grow huge amounts of, of coffee beans in Brazil. And in fact, yeah. Brazil still, really since the end of the 19th century up until now, um, is is the biggest coffee producer in the world. But actually coffee, the origins of coffee are in Africa. Oh really. And like a lot of things. And there are, and there's a there is a deep hidden history there as well. And no, no one is entirely sure, but around about the area of the historical um Abyssinia, which is mm-hmm. which is modern day modern day Ethiopia, Eritrea, um, there is a, a plant which has grown which is the the wild version of of coffee and and it's and it's it's ubiquitous to that part of the world and and even now the cultivated form of coffee some of the best coffee that you can buy coffee beans that you can buy come from an area of 
central Ethiopia mm. called Irgacheth. Wow. And East Africa, many would argue, and my own love story, if you like, with coffee <laughs> comes from East Africa. Many would argue that East Africa is the is the, the birthplace of coffee and the and the place where you can still buy buy the best coffee. And no one's really sure when people started drinking coffee. And it probably goes back many, many centuries, actually possibly even thousands of years. Mm -hmm. No one's no one's really sure. The coffee um, shrub, the bush, um, would have been there in the wild. And like with many plants, the people would have noticed the medicinal properties of it. The legend is fascinating, though. So the legend goes that there is a goat herd there in Ethiopia, mm -hmm. in Abyssinia, called Kaldi. And he's out one day with his goats, and uh, and you know, he's calling his goats because he needs to get back home, and they're not responding. So he's like, oh, so go and find the goats. So he goes off to try and find the goats, and he finds them underneath the shade of a particular tree. And they seem to be going absolutely ballistic. They're jumping around, they're butting <laughs> their heads against each other, and they're just getting very, very excited. And he's like, this is I'm not sure what's going on. This is a bit a bit crazy. And he noticed that they have been chewing on the red berries of the tree that they are wow. uh, dancing around underneath. So he's like, oh, gosh, they've taken something. It's probably poison. They're going to die. So then he waits. And eventually they settle down. And he takes them and they don't die. And the next day he brings them back and they go straight for the same tree again. They're really excited. They want to they eat this. A berry and they eat the berry and the same thing happens then he's like well if if the goats didn't die maybe i can try it so he tries something it's really bitter the leaves are really bitter um but he tries the fruit and the fruit is is quite sweet and and there's a bit of flesh around the around the seed and he eats that and then he eats the seed and he feels um refreshed and he feels really energetic and it's like oh this is this is amazing and then he takes his um his takes it to his dad and he says to his dad, oh, dad, this is amazing, you should try it. And this is all legend, of course. You know, it's over the years, yeah. over the centuries, it's become burnished somewhat, shall we say, in the retelling. Yeah. But I just think it's a it's a it's a fantastic story. And eventually the legend goes on to say that a local monk, some some say, depending on the, the time at which um the story is supposed to be located, yeah. um perhaps a Muslim ascetic came to learn about it. Mm -hmm. and and thought it was amazing because it would allow them to stay up at night and uh, uh um, focus on their zikr focus on their prayer and so mm -hmm. this this then becomes part of the deeply entrenched religious connotations of, around coffee and mm -hmm. and you know, the the legend of of Kaldi, whether it's true or not tells you something about the fact that it was deeply entrenched within the culture of that part of the yeah. world but it's it's not until we get to the 14th and 15th century that we really start to see the cultivation of coffee in a in a in a way where it really starts to be cultivated and grown uh, and then processed as a drink and mm -hmm. that's when things really start to change but even even before that we have got muslim scholars who talk about coffee and um Abu Bakr al-Razi writes about it in the ninth century. And Ibn Sina, oh, wow. who, who is, to, to anyone who knows and in the Western he, world, he was, a, he was a huge, yeah, he was a huge coffee advocate, you know, Ibn Sina. Yeah. Yeah. 
I know he used to drink a lot as well. <laughs> and and you know and and some some say that he you know Avicenna's textbook of of medicine was still used in Europe up until the 15th century. So many people um, talk about him as as the father of modern medicine in, in many ways. And and Ibn Sina uh, talks about coffee, and he said it, it fortifies the organs, it cleans the skin, it dries up the humidities that are under it, and gives an excellent smell to the body. So he was a big advocate of coffee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and so it it's we we so we start to see coffee as being part very much part of the culture. But as I said, it's not until the 15th century when coffee starts to be cro- grown in Yemen. Okay. So that's across the Red Sea from Abyssinia. And not a, not, a, not a big difference for anyone who, you know, you, you glance at a world map. You get from Abyssinia to the, um, uh, to, uh, across to Saudi Arabia and, and Yemen. And they're mm-hmm. the perfect, absolutely perfect environment for growing coffee. And it's cultivated there and it's grown there. And it really starts to become a business. And traders get involved and they're trading both from Abyssinia and from Yemen where it's being grown. And really then it becomes a ubiquitous part of Islamic culture and mm. spreads throughout the Islamic world, including into Persia, Egypt, Turkey, North Africa, and through to the Indian subcontinent as well. And so th- there's a there's a really interesting account. And, and this is before it becomes popular in Europe. Yeah. It's well before anyone's right. heard of it in Europe. So for those of us from um, uh, who, who trace our ancestry back to the Indian subcontinent, we have an account from 1616 of an English reverend called Edward Terry, and he spends time in Mughal South India. Mm-hmm. And he wrote about something that he found quite incredible. And he wasn't, so they, no one in Europe really knew about coffee at the time. And he mm-hmm. said, many of the people there in India use a liquor they call coffee. It's made by a black seed boiled in water, which turns it almost the same color. But it doesn't t- taste, change the taste or make the taste of the water bad. But not, notwithstanding, it's very good to help digestion, to quicken the spirits and to cleanse the blood. So we have here within um, uh, the wider Islamic empires, um, coffee being an intrinsic part of the culture, mm. Mm. Uh, and then and then really as the 16th century rolls on, we see um, coffee, as I said, becoming a ubiquitous part of Islamic culture, and the rise of coffee houses. And I think this is really really fascinating. Sorry, I just wanted to mention that it's really interesting that you mentioned about how um, uh, coffee had an impact on the Muslims and. Um, in prayers because I was just having a read that in the 15th century there's some certain Sufi monasteries in Yemen when you mentioned is so close to Ethiopia Um, Sufi these Sufi monasteries in Yemen they employed coffee actually as an aid actually to concentrate in in prayers as well so that was something quite interesting and quite actually relates to what you were speaking about so that so that's right and it is very interesting that it started off having this significant religious connotation yeah and then, and then from there it moves on to become a much more secular thing in a way, and yeah. and actually then also leads to a backlash. Interesting, right? Yeah. Right. Because what happens is that these it starts off with the the 
Sufis who are drinking it, as you said, to allow them to focus and concentrate during prayer, and especially through the night. They drink coffee, they can stay up all night and pray. Then people start drinking, everyone starts drinking it, and it becomes, as we said, you know, it just it becomes a thing that everyone that everyone does. Yeah. And um, you, there, there is a, um, a another 16th century um, scholar from um, the uh, Yemen port of Mocha, where we get the, oh. the word Mocha for coffee from, yeah. Yeah. and um, and he he wrote, um, coffee is the common man's gold, and like gold, it brings to every man the feeling of luxury and nobility. Where coffee is served, there is grace and splendor and friendship and happiness. So you can really see now coffee changes yeah. in terms of the narrative and the cultural significance of coffee from something which is only for religious purposes to now mm. being a ubiquitous part of what everyone does in the Islamic world. And then you get the rise of coffee houses. Mm. And these become places where people come, they exchange news, gossip, I'm sure, intellectual thought, conversations are happening. Um, yeah. And... And, and conversations of, of, of all sort. And then the authorities start to become somewhat upset because um, it also brings about the idea that, that if they're going to the coffee house to drink coffee, they may not be coming to the mosque to pray. Oh, okay. So at various points during Islamic history in the 16th and 17th century, coffee is banned in the Islamic world. Oh, I see. Wow. So, and, and banned and then unbanned again. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've read about these prohibition areas, areas actually of yeah. coffee. Yeah, yeah. So it's fascinating how how much of a of a an effect coffee has yeah. in respect of um, you know the, the society itself. And you you know you ask the question about how coffee changed the world. Well, we go from we go from there through to the introduction of coffee into Europe, and then that happens in the middle of the seventeenth century. You were mentioning about the um, the kind of coffee houses. I yeah. just want to kind of bring in the element of tea. I don't completely want to neglect tea there, but yes. tea is yeah. also hugely. It's a drink. It's a drink that's been hugely consumed in the Indian and uh, East Asian sub, you know, a Asian subcontinent for for a long time. Mm. And um, perhaps nowadays we find particularly people amongst kind of Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, they drink more tea than coffee. So was yeah. this kind of um, coinciding with the kind of uh, history of tea or how, where does tea come into all of this? Tea, that's a fast, and we can take a slight diversion here. And the, and the history of tea and the reason that tea is um, ubiquitous in the Indian subcontinent is because of empire. Right. Because of the British Empire, and mm -hmm. and and really, if so, you, I mean, you you heard the quote there from the 1600s, early 1600s, Mughal Empire in India. Everyone drank coffee; right. they didn't drink tea. They were drinking coffee, and and obviously, coffee that by that stage had become pretty ubiquitous. Early on, the only way that you could get coffee beans was from Yemen, and the Arabs controlled the trade in coffee, but very quickly. Wow. through into the 17th century, you had people smuggling coffee beans that could be grown and coffee plants out of the Arabian Peninsula. And in the first instance, there was a an Indian um, Muslim mm -hmm. who went for Hajj. 
And he went for Hajj and he was like, introduced to coffee. And was, this is amazing. But can I, can I take it with me to grow? And they said, no, no, you can't do that. So he took some beans and, yeah. and, and uh, again, stories, but I think this, this, this probably has a little bit more to it than, than the, the story around, around Kaldi, the, the, the goat herd. Um, he took some beans, he taped them to his stomach to hide them. And then he took them back to India and started growing coffee beans or coffee plants for coffee beans in India in the 17th century. And so coffee starts to become ubiquitous there and, and is a ubiquitous drink throughout the Muslim world. Once the British Empire started to take hold in the Indian subcontinent, it was around about the same time as the Dutch started to also cultivate coffee. So the mm-hmm. Dutch got very excited about coffee. They sent people in to steal coffee plants and they were successful in stealing those coffee plants. So they took the coffee plants and they initially tried to grow them in Holland and that was a complete failure. So then wow. the Dutch East Indies, so Indonesia, that's where they started growing it. And even now you can get coffee from that part of the world and that's directly as a result of the Dutch. Now, the, and, and, and again, Brazil... These were all elements of empire and, and, and growing um, coffee plants in Brazil mm-hmm. and, and um, uh, for, for, for beans all started by the um, uh, 18th century, late 18th century. But just go back to the British. The British were like, well, we want part of this game, right? Everyone wants coffee. So we're going to grow coffee. Where can we grow coffee? And they thought, okay, well, it needs to have a certain oh, environment. Wow. It needs to be hot. You need to have some elevation. So... They thought, well, South India, yeah, it works. Mm-hmm. We don't really have enough land there to make this work on scale. So they went for Sri Lanka. And they started to grow coffee plants oh, right. in Sri Lanka. And initially, it was incredibly successful. Wow. But there was just something about the environment, which meant it was just a little bit too humid. And the coffee plants got hit by a fungal mm-hmm. infection and completely wiped out. So all of the coffee crops that the British were trying to grow in India were just completely wiped out. And they said, well, this is a failure. This hasn't worked. What can we grow instead? So they decided to grow tea. And as you said, tea was tea was there. Tea mm. came from China, but tea was there and it was around and people drank it. And, yeah. and tea, and I, and I kind of have the same thing about tea as I have about coffee. Mm-hmm. Lots of people drink tea. They don't necessarily drink good good tea. Most people drink coffee, don't necessarily drink good coffee. So right. they really started to grow tea on an industrial scale. Mm-hmm. And because they were growing tea on an industrial scale, they wow. wanted that tea to be consumed en masse. So they did that by having massive tariffs on coffee. Oh, so the really? only alternative was tea. And because tea also has a little bit of caffeine in, not as much as coffee, but it has caffeine in. And because it gives you some of the same hit, as it were, uh, addictive qualities of, as, as coffee does, then people really got into tea. And and because of that, you, you get tea drinking as completely ubiquitous in, in Britain. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can go down the local corner shop and pick up a box of Yorkshire tea. Um, yeah, it's not actually grown in Yorkshire. Oh. Is it not? No. And oh, so no. it's 
<laughs> right. <laughs> some some people find that surprising. It's not actually yeah. grown in Yorkshire, but you know, it it is the it is that you know deeply ingrained yeah. in the culture of this country tea, and and then but therefore by extension in the Indian subcontinent because of the mm-hmm. massive influence of the British. So coffee was there yeah. first, and then tea took over purely as a function of a, of of economy, purely because people wanted to make money. Mm. Um, and so, and that's how tea drinking came about. And that's why for many of us, our parents drink tea uh, and, and we're just discovering coffee. Yeah. And yeah. coffee was, was in many ways, I think, for people of our parents' generation seen as a foreign drink. Yeah. Coffee is something that maybe Europeans drink. Yeah, definitely. I yeah. You, you can see kind of your, my own parents, they were kind of uh, very sceptical of, of going to coffee. They thought it was too strong yeah. and uh, yeah. they yes. drink about 10 cups of tea a day, but <laughs> yeah. wouldn't drink a cup of coffee because that would be the end of it, right? No, absolutely. And yet, and yet, interestingly, if you go to Turkey, coffee's the thing, right? And the mm-hmm. rituals around coffee are, are incredible. And we've lost that in the Indian subcontinent. Mm. We've big time, we've lost the the cultural significance and the rituals around coffee that which would have been there for many many years and if you you know if you go you can see pictures images um which were were made in the early 17th century of ottoman coffee houses and just going back to this question of coffee houses ottoman coffee houses is places where people would come together and they would be drinking coffee and the preparation of coffee and the socialization around coffee, there's incredible social spaces. Yeah. And people would come and they would play board games, they would um, tell stories, recite poetry, all of those things. And that was a. Yeah, space. I was reading about this earlier. Yeah. Coffee houses are actually a very powerful force that forged, forged actually a social revolution. It was like they sprung up these coffee houses which happened in villages. And this was where these types of scores of the wise kind of came in, where if you wanted to know something, about what was going on in the world then the actual place where you would go to is the coffee houses and the link therefore between like coffee and kind of intellectual life became established you know when we if you ever want to like have a talk just, let's just go for a coffee it kind of links back to that time as well absolutely and and the, and the strength and the power of that kind of socialization around coffee is yeah. is, is very deep within within the culture of, of that part of the world and uh, and of the of the wider muslim empires during during that time and, e- and even as we said even in turkey up and up until now and that mm. idea of coffee shops a place where everyone comes together the sort of the social landscape within that is really really powerful and and i think it's an it's an interesting um uh, flip side to what mm-hmm. would have been um in europe during that time, before coffee came in, taverns right, and places yeah, where yeah. people would go to drink alcohol, beer, ale, whatever it was. But of course, alcohol dulls the senses, yeah. whereas mm. coffee sharpens the senses. Yeah. Alcohol is a depressant, whereas coffee is a stimulant. And so you've got a completely different effect occurring mm. between an uh, ale house yeah. and a coffee house. I think and at this so, point in time, is, yeah. it's also interesting as well to touch upon the neurobiology of coffee as well, mm-hmm. because I suppose we're all doctors here, we kind of understand it, how, you know, it kind of blocks the adenosine receptors. But 
it does quite a lot of things um, with mm. a lot of these neurotransmitters. It can increase the number of dopamine receptors in the brain, which can increase motivation. I was reading as well that yeah. it actually can increase increase adrenaline, which explains why some people get jitters when they have coffee, yeah. which yeah. obviously in turn activates sympathetic system, widens pupils, and thus increases focus and motivation. So it has a role in neurobiology there as well, which ex completely explains what you were mentioning as well. Yeah, no, ab absolutely. It is. It's fascinating to look at the, all of the different effects that coffee has. And I'll talk a little bit about some of the medical benefits of coffee. Um, yeah. But it, but I think that around it, the neurobiology, as you say, the effect on the brain is fascinating. Because yeah. people also worry that coffee is addictive. And yeah. it's almost certain, certainly true to, to say that it has some addictive properties, which is to say if you drink coffee regularly and you stop, stop drinking coffee, you will crave it. Yeah. And that's a real effect. And some some people will have real and quite significant withdrawal symptoms if they stop drinking coffee, headaches, nausea, and 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 that sort of thing. And and those are the hallmarks of of a substance that does have some addictive properties. And and you know it's not all upside. So I do, you know, I think it's fair for us to talk about all of the different yeah. elements. And and whilst coffee has positive effects, you can also become used to coffee. And caffeine within coffee, um, and the effects that that has on your on your body. And so, the first time you start drinking it, it, it definitely has a positive effect. But it it mm. can start to reduce as time goes on. Um, mm. But everyone is different, and it's fascinating because some people metabolize coffee very very quickly, mm -hmm. whereas other people metabolize coffee very slowly. And the people that metabolize coffee slowly tend to accumulate that coffee, so they can't drink more than a couple of cups of coffee today and if if they were to have more than that then they would have trouble sleeping they would get jitters yeah. um you know they would get those sympathetic effects yeah. we talk about sympathetic effects with you know, the sort of adrenaline like effects on the on the body which can be negative side effects the coffee jitters is a real thing you know you were mentioning about the medicinal uses of yeah. coffee um we're all doctors here we understand that you know, specifically yeah. in neonatology, actually, that there yeah. is some sort of aspect of it. Could you touch upon that, please? In specifically in like the UK, is there any use of caffeine in in, in the hospital at all? Yeah, I. So I think now now is the point where we start to draw a little distinction between coffee and caffeine. Yeah, caffeine is the active agent in coffee, which has a stimulant effect, and it's the kind of the active drug. And like with a lot of medicines that are derived from natural materials, we refine the active agent out of the original thing and then use that. And so cough, caffeine is the, the active agent within, within coffee. And it's very well described and has been isolated as a substance for, for many years. Um, in order to understand how it's so useful in neonatology, kind of have to take a step back into the history of neonatology, which is, is, is mm -hmm. quite fascinating in, in that respect. And babies have been born preterm and early for as long as humans have been around. And mm -hmm. the sad reality is that for a long part of human history, if a child was born preterm, they would die. Mm -hmm. And and there are a number of reasons why they might die, but one of the most significant problems that preterm infants have is with their lungs, and their lungs are not as mature as they as they should be, mm. and and their brains are not as well developed. 
So that leads to two problems as far as breathing is concerned. One is that the lungs are not as good as getting carbon dioxide out and getting oxygen in, and the blood flow in the lungs is not as good as it should be. And the second mm. is that the brain is not as good at triggering the lungs to do their job. So our respiratory drive in preterm infants is not as good as it is in older children or, or in adults. Coffee, uh, through, through a, and it's really fascinating when you look at the research around this, through a series of um, experiments was discovered to be the one agent that had the most potent effect. Lots of different agents were tried. But when they got to caffeine, the evidence was so clear, it was incredible. Oh, wow. And the effects of caffeine are one to drive the body to breathe more. Mm. So stopping something called apnea of prematurity. And apnea means when the, bo when the body doesn't breathe. Yeah. Mm. Premature infants, the, the brain centers aren't as mature, so they don't drive the, the lungs to breathe as much. Caffeine yeah. can stop that apnea from happening. So help the brain to trigger the lungs to breathe, which is fascinating. But it also has several other effects. So caffeine as a stimulant, because you mentioned adrenaline as well, because of some of these secondary effects, it also has incredible effects on the lungs themselves. So okay. can cause the blood flow in the lungs to increase. Yeah. And in preterm infants, that's a, a major issue that they have in terms of mm. the in terms of blood flow and therefore oxygenation and carbon dioxide exchange. So we've found that caffeine is incredibly powerful at keeping preterm babies alive. And once we had discovered this, all preterm babies receive caffeine if they have if they're very premature and if they have lung mm. problems. And the effect of that has been incredible, actually, in, in terms of okay. the, the medical benefit of it. Yeah. Uh, and what's also fascinating is those lung effects aren't just limited to preterm babies. So actually people with asthma, coffee has a significant beneficial effect okay. for exactly the same reason, because it increases the blood flow and it also causes the, the muscles inside the airways to relax. So asthmatics should be drinking more coffee. Yeah, absolutely. They should, be. Right. they should be. I actually have asthma, so I should probably start on that. <laughs> what, what about other, I suppose, because it, it goes back to that same element of, uh, you know, a respiratory stimulant. So the caffeine in the coffee and high doses of caffeine are useful for uh, rerouting blood flow to the lungs and encouraging their better breathing, better lung function, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. No, that's right. that exactly. That's exactly right. <clears throat> right. I, I just want to kind of come on. Obviously, we've we've talked about some of the the medical uses. There was a really interesting podcast. It was looking at kind of, and it's kind of linking to that uh, point you mentioned earlier, where the possible downsides. I don't really want to say downsides of coffee, but the possible depend people who become dependent on coffee. Yeah. We sometimes find that you know, um, initially people are kind of can function very well on it but then you get mm. some individuals who need that coffee hit in the morning and yeah. it was really interesting because recently this has been discussed in a number of podcasts where what is the optimum time for drinking coffee and how if you drink yeah. it too close to to bedtime yeah. it kind of disrupts the circadian rhythm so perhaps you could tell us a little bit about that so yeah i mean that that in itself is also really really fascinating and and is very much an individual thing so it's very much an individual thing. Um, within 
cultures that have a very strong tradition of coffee drinking, then you'll tend to get some, some sort of generalized rules around coffee drinking. Mm. And one of those in, in some cultures is not to drink coffee after three o'clock in the afternoon or thereabouts, mm. not to drink coffee um, after the afternoon. And, and that really is because for some individuals, if you, if you drink coffee that late in the day, the effects of that coffee, the stimulant effect of the coffee remains with you even when you get up to bedtime mm. and therefore can disrupt sleep. And if you're taking coffee, say, five, six o'clock in the evening and then you try and get to sleep, you're, you're going to have disturbed sleep. You're not, you're not going to sleep as well. Now, some people, they sleep, drink coffee before bedtime <laughs> and they're out like a light. <laughs> right. and, the, and those are the, those are the people who metabolize coffee very, very quickly. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. So for them, it okay. makes no difference. They drink coffee a few minutes later. It's cleared out their system. They're ready to go to sleep. They go to sleep. It, it probably still has an effect. They probably don't sleep as well as they as they would otherwise. And so, as a general rule, and, and you know, you kind of have to learn yourself what is the best thing for you. Now, for me, for me personally, I don't don't drink coffee after three four o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. So an mm -hmm. an absolute rule. And and if I do, I, I see the effects. You know, it's it's a it's a a bad effect in terms of my sleep. If I miss my afternoon coffee, I do wake up with a headache. Yeah, I, I, I wake up with some withdrawal symptoms. You know, I'm craving yeah. my coffee first thing in the morning. Yeah, so I normally have my first coffee around about six a.m. That's, right. that's okay. the that's the time when I'm I'm getting up. So six a.m. coffee, mm. and then and then I'm kind of set for the day. And my second coffee of the day will be around sort of one two o'clock in the afternoon. And how many do you drink in the day? Two, two. I don't right. drink more okay. than two coffees a day. Okay, and and so it's you know I. I to be honest, I wish I could drink more because I enjoy drinking coffee, but I've just learned um, with time that that's the optimal amount of coffee for me. And I think that's you have to do that. You drink too much, you get the side effects, you get jitters, you, you get problems with habituation, you get problems with withdrawal. If I were to go up to three, four cups of coffee a day, I, I know that I would then really start to suffer with withdrawal symptoms because my body would then crave it every few hours. Mm. And it would disturb my sleep, it would disturb... Um, uh, you know my my natural sleep wake cycle, and that's I don't don't yeah. want to do that. Uh, yeah. And so I I reduce the amount of coffee that I drink during Ramzan, interestingly, oh, okay. because mm. otherwise I'm drinking coffee, or essentially all at one time. So say early in the morning, and then and then at a fiery time. So I tend to avoid doing that and just drink it once. And just let it have its effect, and it doesn't mean that I get withdrawal symptoms for a few days, but then you get over. Mm. It's interesting that you that you said that you have a coffee again in the afternoon because some people actually, if they have it straight after waking up, they experience what's called a caffeine crash. And I, I was doing some research um, earlier today, just reading a bit about coffee, and, mm. and there's some um, scientists, particularly to some neuro scientist like Dr. Andrew Huberman, who says that actually the rule of thumb should be to have coffee about 90 minutes to two hours yeah. after waking up yeah. because yeah. It, that allows time for adenosine in your body to perform its metabolism and, 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 and perform it. And then, and then after that, if you have caffeine, then it's kind of more healthy in that aspect and that will yeah. prevent perhaps a caffeine crash. Hmm. 
no, ab- absolutely, and there, and there is a, absolutely a school of thought, and and, it, and it's related to adenosine. It's also related to the to the the normal cycle of of hormones in our in our body, um, and uh, we, we all have natural levels of stimulant hormones in our body, and and those stimulant hormones tend to be at the lowest point in the middle of the night, mm. and so our levels of cortisol in our body are lowest at sort of three four in the morning, and you guys know. Because you've done night shifts, yeah. Right? It's it's the middle of the night, and you're just yeah. feeling tired and you're feeling cold. Yes, yeah. yeah. That's your cortisol at its lowest level. Definitely, yeah. And so when you wake up in the morning, your cortisol levels slowly climb up, and then they peak around about an hour after you wake up. Mm. And the reason that I drink coffee as soon as I get up is is more to do with the fact that I've got to, just got to get my day started. If I had That's ninety good. minutes to lounge around, to lounge around, it'd be it'd be great. But I don't, yeah. so I have to crack on with my day. I think this leads on to a really nice kind of point that we wanted to discuss, which is we've talked about the history and how coffee has gradually been commercialized. Nowadays, there are so many different types, you know, especially if you, you know, you don't have time to make your own coffee. You know, you go over Mm. to Starbucks, there's Americano, cappuccino, espresso. Uh, For a coffee novice or someone who's looking to start drinking coffee, what is the, what are the different types? What is the best way to get started? And for someone who's more of an advanced coffee drinker, how do you kind of, uh, you know, create that perfect brew um, at home or, or you, you know, otherwise? That's a, that's a really good question. <laughs> it's a really good question. And yeah. I, I think the answer to that is if I, if I talk about my own journey mm-hmm. into coffee. That would be great. And, yeah. and for the longest time, I didn't drink coffee. Oh, okay. In fact, I, I hated coffee. It's horrible. Really? So why would you drink coffee? It's, it tastes so bitter. Yeah, it's bitter it's at the unpleasant. start. unpleasant. So at the, it's interesting that you say at the start, Mark, yeah. because I didn't, I didn't drink coffee because I didn't like the bitter taste. And so I was like, well, I'm not going to drink this rubbish. <laughs> and then I was um, about, it wasn't until my mid-30s, and I went to Uganda. Uh-huh. And I was there with Humanity First, actually. And I was there doing some some work with local hospitals. And we had an afternoon off. And the guy said, well, okay, I'm going to take you up to the the mountains, the Ruwenzori Mountains, which, which uh, look over, the, um, over into Kenya. Right. And on those mountains, they grow coffee. And so the guy said, okay, we're going to stop here in the coffee plantation and there's a, there's a little guest house and they'll serve you coffee. And the coffee is the stuff they grow on the hillside. And I was like, okay, well, I don't really drink coffee, but okay, it's fine. I'll try this coffee. So I drank the coffee and it was a revelation. Mm. Really? Because it wasn't bitter. Mm. And it tasted really, really nice. It tasted almost chocolatey, very earthy, but almost chocolatey. And it was incredible. And I was like, everything that I've known up until now about coffee is wrong. It was was all lies. So so I was like, okay, so how do you make this coffee? And they made the coffee in in what's called a French press. And I was like, okay, this is is amazing. And, And I need this in my life because this feels like something very different and something exciting. So I, I bought, 
I, I think probably a good five or ten kilos worth of Ugandan oh, coffee wow. beans. Wow. You managed to I fit that in your suitcase on the way back. Uh, yeah, I brought them <laughs> home with me. <laughs> and and from then on, I just started drinking that coffee. And obviously, eventually, I ran out of that coffee and I had to find another source. But I started making it at home, and I took the beans. I would grind the beans, and I would initially make them with a French press, and then I went I went on to get a coffee machine, espressos, and I had espressos. And so I kind of went through a journey, and initially oh, that, that coffee was amazing, and I went out and got other beans, and they weren't as good. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that's, that's really annoying, because I had that coffee. That was really nice. And now yeah. the coffee that I buy is not, not as good. So I, I'm in search of this good coffee, because I know what good coffee tastes like. Mm. So I've kind, of, I've kind of had my level set. And I think <laughs> yeah. that is the point that people need to get to. So to your point, Mark, it shouldn't be bitter. Good coffee should not be bitter. If you're drinking coffee that's bitter, it's not good coffee. Mm. That's interesting. So Starbucks, Cafe, I'm not going to say all the names. Anyway, (laughs) and and obviously they they do things for a certain reason. And I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, saying anything against against Starbucks, and if you enjoy drinking Starbucks coffee, great. But you'll notice that if you were to go into Starbucks and ask for a black coffee, it would be very bitter. Yeah, Almost yeah. all of Starbucks' best-selling drinks have sugar and milk in them. And sugar and milk were an introduction, in a European introduction to coffee. Um, the, the Arabs and, and Muslims never put m- milk into their coffee. Oh, right. And that's also probably related to a biological function around lactose and lactose intolerance. But anyway, that's a different, mm-hmm. that's a completely different conversation. So yeah. Europeans put, put milk in to modify the taste of coffee because if you over-roast coffee, if you roast it too dark, it'll be bitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can you can make coffee from, from a dark roast bean and not make it coffee, make, make it bit of us. It's more complicated than a longer conversation. But... Mm. It, it, to make good quality coffee, you need to prepare it in the right way. You need to roast it in the right way. And and if you do that and it's good quality coffee, then you will get coffee that doesn't take bitter, is very flavorsome, and actually is really nice. So all the coffee mm. that I drink at home, I have without milk, without sugar. So I take it back. I have an espresso oh. in the morning, and I use something called an AeroPress in the afternoon. Oh, wow. And... I will grind the beans and I will make the coffee fresh from those ground so, beans. So, so you grind the beans yourself and yes. you you filter. I, I don't it I don't roast the beans. Right. You can buy green beans and roast them yourself at home. That's the mm. next step. And I'll probably start doing that this year. But you can do <laughs> that as well. You can do right. that. But 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 it's a roasting beans is a is a tricky process and, and you can certainly yeah. um, overdo it. Interestingly, in Ethiopian culture. There is a whole ritual around preparing coffee, which starts with taking green beans and roasting them mm. at home over a fire in a in a small metal disc. Mm-hmm. Roasting the beans, crushing the beans, preparing the coffee, and then giving the coffee to the guests fresh. And that's that freshness that maintains the aromatics that give coffee its really good flavor. Mm. So you can have the generic flavor of coffee, but by mm-hmm. preparing fresh coffee, you get the subtle flavors of coffee. And if you if you speak to the real coffee connoisseurs, and I'm not one of those real coffee connoisseurs, <laughs> then they'll drink a cup of cup of really good coffee, and they'll go, "Oh yes, notes of raisin and blackcurrant," and you go, oh, "Wow, okay. 
it tastes kind of fruity. I'll accept that. And you can yeah. get those fruity notes. You can get chocolatey notes. You can get earthy notes. You can taste that. In good coffee, you will taste that. Mm-hmm. If some if something's been very dark roasted, it's over-processed essentially, then you're not going to get that. And most people will drink freeze-dried coffee, which mm-hmm. again was an invention, early 20th century invention because of Brazilian overproduction of coffee. They were like, oh, well, you know, all of this co- coffee beans are going to spoil. We need a way of being able to capture this coffee and still mm. be able to sell it. Mm. So someone came up with a freeze-drying dry, process, and then they were able to export freeze-dried coffee everywhere in the world. How does that affect and the caffeine? It, it, so the caffeine content of the coffee remains uh, pretty much the same. Right. But the, the flavors, the aromatics in the coffee tend to be dispelled. Mm. So freeze-dried coffee doesn't retain the same flavors as fresh coffee will. And Nescafe will tell you, or other producers of freeze-dried coffee, yeah. not, not, not there, others are available, uh, but um, <laughs> they all tell you that, oh, you know, it tastes so you can get really good flavors from your freeze-dried coffee. Yeah, some, some will, but not, not most of them. Yeah. You mentioned that there's, obviously we've mentioned that there's so many different countries which do produce coffee, mainly yeah. in Brazil. Um, yes. You mentioned yourself, you got some from Uganda earlier yeah. on, it was Yemen and Ethiopia. Is there any differences in coffee beans produced throughout the world? And is there differences in taste and quality? There, and... there are, there have been books written on the different flavour profiles of oh, different okay. coffees yeah. around the world. And by all accounts, the things that make the difference are the quality of the soil, the altitude at which the coffee is grown, the amount of sunlight they receive, the nature of the water, the processing afterwards. So you pick the beans from the plant and then they need to be processed. Mm. So they need to be dried. And in some cases they're fermented and then they're dried. So all of these things will change the profile of the flavor of the coffee. And wow. so, mm. you know, some people go taste the coffee. Yeah, okay, that's that's from Kenya. I can taste that. You know, that's the East oh, African right. coffee, typical you know, or Brazilian coffee or, you know, co- yeah. coffee from from another part of the world. And so it, I think it's, it's really fascinating. I, I, certainly I would say that I can spot an East African coffee because mm-hmm. I've, that's one I'm particularly familiar with. And I can, I can spot it most of the time when I'm, when I'm drinking it because it has a particular, particular flavor, which is. Um, so I, I just want to get this right. So um Obviously, there's the different types of coffees. There's cappuccino, Americano, uh, mochas. So you're saying that the true and best coffee that you can get or the most flavorsome is that which is not bitter without kind of sugar and milk and um, preferably one which is kind of brewed from from natural beans. Is that correct? I'm, I'm going to caveat that by saying, in my opinion, because because taste of, is a very personal thing right and yeah. people are going to get very upset they go, oh well, you know i like my coffee with with milk and sugar that's how i like yeah. it and that's fine and if you like it and you enjoy it then that that's fine but I, but what i'd say is there's a whole world of coffee flavor out there yeah. which doesn't deserve to be disguised yeah. with, yes. co- <laughs> with milk and sugar right and right. good well-prepared coffee should taste really really nice should have a really good flavor and and can be revealed by proper preparation of the right coffee beans um and and if you do that then you don't have to add anything to your coffee and it will taste really really nice um 
having having said that, there's absolutely nothing wrong with having coffee with with milk and sugar in it because that's a particular flavor, right? It's a particular yeah. experience, and if that's what people enjoy, that's what they enjoy. I, I occasionally I will have coffee with milk and sugar in it, and and you know there is a there's a certain style of preparation of coffee uh, from freeze dried coffee in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. And there they'll do it. They will uh, they'll go, do what they call paintna. So they will take a little bit of coffee, a little bit of water, and a little bit of sugar, and they right. will whisk it up. They're essentially they're aerating coffee, and it's, right. a, okay. it's a it's a fantastic physical process. If you watch it, and you froth up a little little bit of coffee, you froth it up, mm. yeah. and what that does it aerates it, and that expands the surface area to allow you to get the flavor of the coffee better. And then they'll add hot water to it, and then they'll give you this sweet, milky coffee, which which has quite a strong coffee flavor to it. And mm. well, if I'm in if I'm in Pakistan, I'll, I'll have that coffee. You know, if people are offering. I'm not going to say no. If they offer yeah. me tea, I will say no. But if they offer me coffee, well, <laughs> I won't say no. So you know, you can you can enjoy coffee however you however you want. Um, but but I guess the the point is to say that. Um, that there are ways of enjoying coffee without that, and there's there's a there's a bigger world of coffee out there um, for people that want to discover it. Definitely, yeah. It makes you want to just travel and go on an expedition to try to try all this coffee across the world. It's so yeah, interesting. Yeah. I might take up the Uganda the Uganda trip one day and just go for, uh, with Humanity First one day. No, it's it's fascinating. We've had such a great discussion today, and definitely opened my eyes to the coffee world and even the history as well. It's such a rich history which which the world's seen with coffee over a thousand years of history. I'd say as well. But Jazakallah, Dr. Hamar, then it's been such a pleasure to have you on on the podcast. We'll be delighted to have you on again. And um, I hope you have the same, share the same feelings as well. Thank you. No, thank you to both of you for inviting me on the program. It's been, I mean, you can tell that I get excited talking about coffee. So it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, we, it's been really. <laughs> you rubbed that on to us as well. Yeah, we might need to do kind of a, another episode for someone who's a tea connoisseur or enthusiast. So if someone is interested, you know, do let us know and we can do an episode yeah. and perhaps a part two with you as well, Dr. Ahmad. Thank you very much. Excellent. It's been a pleasure. Jazakallah. Very good. Jazakallah. Jazakallah. Thank you for listening to the Al Hakam Inspire podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Visit our socials on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Al Hakam Inspire. And of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel and leave your comments there. We would love to hear your feedback and thoughts. So send us an email to inspire at alhakam.org.